Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Entercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! <laughs> You're on the crazy train. <laughs> Welcome to the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoors Show. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 1250 AM, The Fan. Find us every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. right here on 1250 a.m. The Fan. And if you want to be part of the show, all you got to do is give us a call at 414-799-1250. Or you can email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. Sam Schmitz is on the boards back at the studio. And we welcome you this morning. Morning, Danny. Morning, Tom. I'm looking forward to some great stories that you have after your trip to North Dakota. Well, yeah, we had a good time out there. Uh, went up there. That's uh, about a one-day drive, so that's not bad. Wasn't as bad as when we went to Montana, where we uh, that was about a two-day drive. Even though you could do it in one day, we stopped. But uh, North Dakota, it's not so bad. I think we left about uh, last Sunday. I and Al left at about 8 o'clock. And, uh, you know, we were up there by, I don't know, 6 o'clock anyway, so it wasn't bad. Um, we uh, um, had caught some perch. One thing I did learn how to do, Tom, and uh, I, it's kind of weird, you know, as much as I hunt and fish, people would probably think that I've, you know, jigged for uh, panfish through the ice or perch or whitefish or whatever. I've never jigged through the ice in my entire life till this last week. In fact... The only jig pole that I had, I won it at the waterfront about, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago when they have one of those fisheries. And when you don't win the $500, the $300, the $200, they have about 50 other prizes for, you know, people who buy t- tickets. So they give away a lot of little prizes. And I got, got a uh, little jig pole years ago. And I put, uh, put some line on that. And by golly, I, I learned how to jig for perch in that, that little that little cheap little jig jig rod and reel that I'd sat in the basement collecting dust all these years actually worked pretty good. So did learn how to jig. Uh, I used the perch talker and uh, that worked. You had to tip a bunch of waxworms on the hooks. 
But then uh, the best uh, lure that seemed to work best, I had a little Castmaster. I don't know who told me to get a Castmaster. Somebody did. Um, maybe it was you or your son. But I got a little Castmaster. And, um, and the, actually, your tip on the beaver tail was a great tip. I put a beaver tail on that. And I was catching some perch on that. I didn't even need to use the waxworms, and they don't steal the beaver tail on you. And Randy, the guy that I was up there with, he actually uh, had never heard or seen beaver tails before, so he used one. And I actually left him the beaver tails when I left. But the perch that we caught were mostly small. For some reason, uh, it was the old story, you should have been here a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were getting the big ones. In fact, even the day before we got up there, Randy had caught his limit of, I don't know, 15 or 10 or whatever the heck it was in about an hour and a half, and they were all 9, 10 inches. Well, if we got one 9, 10 inch in the entire trip, we were lucky. So we had to weed through them and sort through them, and we did manage to keep enough for, uh, for a meal or two, I guess. Uh, caught some pike on tip-ups. It was interesting, though, Tom. The pike were grabbing the smelt running off 20 feet of water and then dropping it. It was just strange, you know. I, I guess it shows you that pike can be finicky too, but we did catch a couple nice fat ones. How deep of water were you fishing? Uh, we were, I think the first day we were jigging in 14 feet of water, 13, 14 feet. Um, then the next time we went back there, we were in a, we moved into about 9 feet of water, and it was pretty much the same action regardless. Um, and as far as the tip-ups, pike, the pike were primarily in a little bit shallower. We were getting more action on the tip-ups in about five feet of water. Um, it's, it's interesting. You drive through these farm fields and you see this what looks like a little pothole lake. Well, the thing is, these, these uh, lakes, they twist and turn and wind. I mean, they're old farm fields that were basically <laughs> flooded over whenever. And uh, they, they, the, one, the one we were on, it's called Goose Lake. Uh, I believe it goes for seven miles. Wow. So, yeah, there's some bigger bodies of water. We tried another lake called Clear Lake, and which has perch and walleyes, no pike, and we totally struck out there. Um, so, yeah, it I, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's one of those things we were talking to other locals, too. One local, local yokel in the bar who always likes to fish pike, he was saying that thing had gotten tough in the last couple of weeks. But I guess that's fishing. You can go to the greatest place in the world, and you're not guaranteed that you're just going to be filling your bucket with 14-inch perch or catching 40-inch pike on tip-ups. Well, um, you know, that, that seems to be in a lot of areas because of the fact that my son Nick was saying the last few weeks that the pike fishing where he goes on some of the lakes, that wasn't very good. They weren't getting hardly any flags, whereas the, the pan fishing now, the last couple times he's been out, out has picked up for bluegills and crappies. Before, he wasn't catching any bluegills. Now more are moving in. And I got a question. What I don't understand is, why is it when we get to this time of year, there's more panfish? It seems like once it starts getting a little warmer out, more panfish start moving into shallow water. Now, the water temperature is still the same below the ice, but yet... The outside temperature is a little warmer, and it, it's like the, the, the panfish move in shallow more. I, I mean, I don't understand that. What, what's making them do that? Is it the length of daylight or, or whatever? I don't know. You know I, don't, I don't know. Well, maybe, I, I, and again, I'm just shooting from the hip. Perhaps once the water starts, you know, once the snow and everything starts melting, 
maybe there's a certain amount of runoff in the lakes, you know, maybe a little bit of runoff water in the shallows and so forth. Maybe some kind of, I don't know if that creates any kind of a, I don't know about current or whatever, but, you know, whatever it is, you just got to be aware of the pattern, regardless of why they do it. Just be aware of the pattern and when they do it. Now, pike are a lot more predictable in that I was, I was talking about, like the pike up there at the mouth of the Fox River, where I caught the 41-incher. I don't think they're staging there for uh, spawning. I think it's just a big flat. They're hanging out there. There's a lot of shad, a lot of whitefish. And uh, as a matter of fact, now that I learned how to jig, I, I could probably go up. I know right where to jig for whitefish and probably do better than, than a lot of these guys going up further north to Door County. I'm not getting the greatest reports in the world for some of those guys either. Um, but um, in the spring, though, we're starting about now, once we start start getting a good thaw, that's when you want to set up outside spawning bay areas and marshes and stuff like that. Because right. like like up in Zippo Bay where we fish for the pike um, up there on Lake of the Woods, you know, if you go there in the middle of winter, yeah, you're going to be lucky to catch a pike in those shallows. But as they start uh, staging to go into that marsh, you know, for the spawn, man, you can get a whole bunch of them packed up outside the mouth of that bay. So pike are more predictable, and they will stage in the in in front of rivers as well in the spring. So or any little creek, uh, any little creek culvert, whatever. It's surprising the the size of a, a little uh, creek or uh, culvert or ditch that northern pike will run up miles sometimes in search of spawning. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I heard from several people who went up to Door County. Uh, fishing the whitefish that uh, they said it didn't take long for them to get their 15 fish, I think, no, 10 fish limit, I think it is. Uh, didn't take long for them to get their limit. Uh, fishing was pretty good, uh, fishing in like 65 feet of water. And, you know, I, I just wonder if anybody ever has used the Mendota rig technique that they use for perch on Lake Mendota, you know, with the long, the long metal weight. Uh, I wonder if it, you know, to get the bait down quicker. I wonder if anybody's tried that up at the Bay of Green Bay. So I'm I just don't, wondering. I, hey, I don't. What exactly is that rig? Describe it. Uh, basically, it's uh, you can use uh, uh, a piece, years ago we used to use a piece of copper tubing and then flatten out the ends, drill a hole through each end, uh, and smooth that out. Uh, basically, it's about 12 inches long, and then your lead line you know, that has your bait on it with the mono, uh, that's about 10 to 11 inches long so that it doesn't, you know, wrap up along the top of the line. And all, and it's just a long piece of copper tubing. Some guys use uh, a heavy uh, uh, coat hanger. Some guys, you know, they, 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 they improvise things. But it's got to be, you know, long and narrow, you know, cylindrical in nature and heavy enough to take your bait down fast, you know. Because, guys, you know, if you're fishing in, 30, 40 feet of water, you don't want to wait forever for your little ice jig to get down there. You want it to get down fast to get to the fish again. And I'm, you know, and guys are still using those on Mendota today, uh, but I just wonder if anybody's used those for whitefish. Um, I got a, I got a, a email here, Dan, that uh, we might want to touch on, too. Uh, this one says, uh, this is from Joe, and you might know him. It's Joe, the sir, it says, hi, Dan and Tom. It's Joe, the server, who worked at Park Avenue Pizza a few years back and was on the show. Do you remember him? 
Yes, as a matter okay. of fact, I talked to him last night. All right. Well, he says, I heard you on your show last week talking about how technology for fish finders is so advanced nowadays that it seems like cheating. I couldn't agree more. Last year, my team and I competed at a college Bassmaster tournament down in Louisiana, and the guy who won the term- tournament sat on one spot and used his Hummingbird 360 to help with jigging spoons for bass. It was like ice fishing with a, with a Vexlar, uh, but without the ice, of course. Ha <laughs> ha. He says, take care, guys. Love listening to the show from Joe. Now, here's the one thing about that. If you ever seen one of these pro bass boats nowadays, they got they got two screens up in the front and two at the council that are bigger than your laptop screen. I mean, they're these. They got four huge screens. They got enough sonar technology to power a submarine. It looks like you know, and they can scan straight down to the left, to the right, and forward. Just imagine going along, looking all around you to spot fish. Now, granted, Danny, you got to make them hit. You know, just because you see them doesn't mean they're going to bite. But, you know, let's face it, most most guys fishing in those tournaments, they got a pretty good handle on what to use and when to use it, you know. So, but Joe, if Joe's listening, yeah, Joe, you're right. It almost seems like cheating. It almost does. Joe, Joe will be calling us at 7 o'clock today. I oh, uh, talked to him and... Cool. Yeah, he's going to talk a little bit about the co- college, uh, you know, the college fishing team uh, and some other things. So, yeah. Cool. That's good. Also, I'm hoping uh, I had met, uh, I think the name was Gus. He was a member of the Appleton, uh, I want to say west or east or north or south, whatever, an Appleton something high school fishing team. Their national, their national state championship was last week. And uh, I talked to him. He was going to call last week, but then he said, oh, I got the tournament. So I said, well, why don't you give us a call the following week? So he may or may not be calling. I had told him we're calling right around 7.30 is best. I'd be kind of curious to hear how that high school tournament shook out last week. Yeah, that was in Wisconsin, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. So we'll see what happens. But we know Joe's calling at 7. But right now, we're going to you know, take a quick break. And folks, if you've got any you know, opinion on uh, locators and, you know, with all the forward side imaging and all that, you can call us at 799-1250. That's 414-799-1250. Or email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. He's Dan. I'm Tom. Joe will take your calls. Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush, along with Tommy the True Newbauer, and uh, we got Sam taking our calls here. Yeah, uh, we I'm always sorry take about the... that. That's okay. It's all Tom, good, Tom. That's okay, Tom. It, it it adds to the show. It it kind of amuses us. So that's okay. Um, right. But uh, uh, we've got a caller, Tom. Okay. All right, we got John in West Dallas. Morning, John. Yeah. Is Morning, he... John. Morning to you guys. Just uh, as long you're bringing up so many memories, I'm 79 years old now, and we were fishing Mendota in the heydays when the perch were really thick in there, and uh, 
We also fish Cisco this way, but you mentioned these long pencil weights that you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, that's fine, but you know what we did, and we used this stuff for years. We just take a bead chain sinker, you know, the size that you want. I, I, we may have used like an ounce and a half. Right. And you just get rid of that uh, clip that snapped that's on the end, and it's literally free. It, you're, you drop that up and down. It, we very seldom got tangled up with that. Well, that's great. Yeah, I think I've, I've heard about that in the past, too. Uh, I, I, I never did that. like those long pencil things, but... Uh, um, yeah, I, I think I would prefer doing it like John as well, as opposed to some long kind of piece of metal yeah, on the line. I know a guy that fished Winnebago with a perch up there, and he may use the, the fam. They, they use them kind of sinkers too, and when they bounce on the bottom, <laughs> sometimes that uh, bouncing on the bottom all the time, they'd fray that uh, the gut that they had, t- or the, you know, leader that they had tied on the bottom. Let me ask you, John. When you fished Mendota back in the day, were, did did you guys have the Vexlar type units, or were you just oh, kind of no, going? No, sir. Okay. No, we we fished. We we'd go out. We'd fish bottom, and then most of the time, that's all we ever fished. And then later on in the year, when it like when it started to warm up, the fish would come up off the bottom. But I was going to mention that to you guys too. With all these locators, so I watch these guys on television. They know when the fish go through. You know, we, we never did that. Of course, the, the limits were bigger, but, I mean, <laughs> they got to be raising hell with the perch, uh, uh, excuse my language, but raising heck with the uh, perch population. And I watched a show not too long ago on television, one of the fishing shows, they were on Mendota. Well, when they catch those fish in those deeper waters and then the little the little ones can't go, can't go back down again, you got to keep them, so... Uh, right. Yeah, but that uh, that bead chain sinker. Let me tell you guys. And then the the rods we used were the, had the sixteen millimeter reels on them. Yeah. Never was that, a, that so had, so so that, that was not a, about that, those big cylinder reels, those big uh, real uh, big diameter reels. Yeah, we made everything. Yeah. Uh, and then. The, the, I could send you a picture of it, but the, the rods we used have got like a pistol grip handle on them, yeah. and they, the end of it kept the, the 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 rod off the ice so you could grab it. Right. I, it's hard to explain, but uh, now, I know exactly what you're talking about because when I had my store, I sold those. Yeah, we sold you? those. Yeah. yeah, I never we never bought uh, never bought when I saw guys that had those things, and but we made our own and. Uh, there used to be a bait shop on Capitol Drive called Dooley's. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd go in there and we'd buy that bushings for the reels. So, but that's all ancient history. Nobody wants to hear that stuff. Well, thanks <laughs> that's for interesting. calling, John. appreciate it. Okay, I hear so, uh, when you're talking so many times, I listen to you guys, and I really like to show them. But I know so many times I think of things I could tell you guys, but, uh, you know. Yeah, feel uh, free to call, John. We appreciate yeah, it. Glad free, you let, thanks for listening. It. Okay, guys. Thank you All very you much, and care. I really enjoyed the show. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Danny, on uh, Lake Winnebago, bouncing the bottom is a tried-and-true technique. To uh, A lot of times what some people will do is they might use an anchor, but otherwise they'll use, uh, a, you know, like a couple-pound weight and tie it on a, a thin rope, and they'll, they'll actually bounce the bottom with it to 
stir up some sediment, make noise on the rocks if they're on the reef. Uh, for some reason, it seems like to almost call the perch over there like there's food to eat, you know. So, you know, well, that, that that's works, one, yeah. That's one thing that I was going to ask you, Tom, because when we were doing the perch fishing there up in North Dakota, pretty much what you do is you'd lower your jig uh, till it hit the bottom. Now, I did have a Vexlar because Randy had about three of them in his, uh, in his portable uh, trailer out on the ice there. And uh, so it was nice and warm and comfortable in there. So you could actually hit, open your bale and watch your jig fall right to the bottom. But then the other thing, though, is realistically, you don't have to have that Vexlar. Sure, it's kind of nice. You do sometimes see the fish coming up looking and so forth. But I just kind of learned is you lower it down to the bottom and you can tell when your line goes slack and then you can tighten it up so there's no slacks. You know, it, it's right by the bottom. You can bang it off the bottom. And then just the best luck seemed to be when you'd get it to the bottom and then just lift it just a little bit and just dead stick it. You know, yep. just leave it hanging there. And when it's dead sticking, if you got a couple of little waxies or a beaver tail on there, all of a sudden you start getting that tap, tap, tap. So it just seems like that bottom contact is pretty much key in most cases. Although I have heard in some, you know, years ago, I heard some guys talk about how schools of suspended perch would go through in the, you know, in deep water out there on Mendota, out by Governor's uh, Point or whatever it is. And guys were using their electronics, you know, spotting those perch at that depth. And obviously at that point, the uh, Vexlar or whatever you want to call it would be a huge advantage. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it does. In deep water, it does make an advantage. You know, it's funny, even in, in shallower water, you know, five, six feet of water, it can still have an advantage because, uh, like my son Nick was telling me, he says, you, all of a sudden your locator will show fish coming through about a foot below the ice, and those are the crappies. And he said, and, you know, he says, if you didn't have that locator on, you wouldn't know that they're coming through that, you know, shallow below the ice. You know, yet you're fishing a little bit deeper down. And so it, it does pay, even in shallower water, to be using them at times. So, you know, yeah, it works. John, John brought, up, brought up a good point about reels. You know, as we were using our little spinning reels on our little, you know, jig rods, and nowadays you can go, you know, for, you know, for 15 bucks, you can buy a little combo, and uh, they seem to be, be adequate for, uh, for jigging for most stuff. But um, he said years ago, nobody had reels on their jig rods, and he said one of his buddies showed up with a reel one time that he'd taken off you know, one of his summer rods, and they looked at him like he was goofy or something. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but I remember my dad had a bunch of jig poles, and it seems to me that it just, the line just kind of wrapped around the, uh, the handle, basically. Yep. There was like two metal pins sticking out, and the line was wrapped around that, and then it would run, you know, you could, I guess, ran through the line guides, and, and that was it, basically, huh? You didn't really even have a reel if a fish hit. Yeah, you just handline it, or what would you do? Yeah, no, those were good for shallow water. You wouldn't use that in deep water. Okay. Those were good for shallow water only, yeah. Gotcha. I know gotcha. exactly yeah, what I, you're talking about. Remember, my dad had about, you know, 10 of them sitting in the basement. I don't think they ever did get used. Um, <laughs> maybe on Winnebagosh. You know, once my dad, back in the 80s, um, 
dad uh, started going with my brother Tim and some guys who worked at Mercury up there in Oshkosh. And uh, they were members of my brother's church. And they'd go with a group out to Winnebegosh. And they just hammered the perch. Man, oh man, did they get them. But I'm kind of wondering, like with technology, uh, is technology making it too easy for people? Because, okay, I went out to North Dakota, which supposedly that's all I've ever heard the last couple of years. Oh, the perch out Devil's Lake. Oh, it's the... And, okay, I went out there and, yeah, we caught some fish, but wasn't super fantastic although it wasn't the right time but are all these fisheries ever eventually going to take a dump because i heard they eventually got hammered out of mendota i heard they got hammered out of winnebegosh i've heard they've gotten you know hammered pretty much everywhere with everybody keeping their limits using electronics like that with as many people going out and doing it can is the perch is it destined to get worse eventually are people over harvesting well, things go cyclical in lakes, of course, we all know that, but uh, right now the perch population is up on, on Winnebago, I mean on Mendota. Uh, yes, for a while there it was down, a lot of smaller fish, but it took a while for them to grow up. But I think that's one of the reasons why the DNR had, had lowered the bag limit on different panfish species, just because of the fact that so many people, you know, I knew this guy one time, he would go to Mendota, with two guys, okay, so there'd be three of them in the boat. This is when the limit was 50. And he'd go out to Winnebago, and he was very good at what he did. And he'd go out there three, four times a week catching limits. And and, and then when the bigger perch were becoming less accessible, a lot of small ones were being caught, he started complaining that the DNR should be doing something about it. And I told him, I said, no, I said, I think you and your buddies are the first ones that should do about it, because just imagine, you're taking hundreds and hundreds of fish a week out of there, and just think there's another thousand boats out there that are doing the same thing, but yet you're complaining about the DNR? I said, no, they got to lower the limit on you guys, and eventually they did. So, you know, we do have to be, you know, cognizant of the fact that we can hurt lakes you know i mean you get a, a thousand anglers on a lake taking their limits out every week well my goodness something's got to give you know the the perch populations or other fish populations that are targeted it's not an infinite number of fish in there you know there's only so many adult ones to you know to keep so yeah i think we all have to watch ourselves when we're out fishing you know every one of us yeah, I, I agree, because so many of the of those panfish fishermen are greedy. Yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't know uh, here. Well, even true confession, when my dad and brother were uh, at Winnebegosh years ago, the morning they were ready to leave, my brother said, uh, you know, we got to count the perch to make sure you know how many we got. And my dad, of course, I don't bother, you know, just got that. No, and they counted. And I think they were over by about, oh, I don't know, a dozen or something. So my brother, and I guess this is a true confession, there's probably statute of limitations. Dad's dead now, so I don't think they can prosecute a dead guy. Well, they did try and impeach a president who was no longer president, so maybe you can try and prosecute a dead guy. <laughs> but anyway, that's beside, I don't know, I, but I digress. So anyway, he, uh, they dumped about a dozen of them in the woods. Well, sure enough, on the way back from Winnebegosh, there's an actual roadblock, 
and the DNR was going through all the Wisconsin perch guys' cars and counting one by one their perch to make sure they weren't over. But, you know, I, there's a certain amount of a thing where you start to lose track, you don't count that good, you're just, you just want to keep piling them in your bucket. So there's a certain greed factor, I think, that hits people, especially when they're slamming them. Yep, it sure does. And we'll talk about that and a lot more after this uh, break. And coming up next is going to be the gut report. I think I got a good one for you, folks, so you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned right here on the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. Welcome back to Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. And if you do want to catch yourself some whitefish or some walleyes, now is the time to call Wacky Walleye's uh, guide service up there, up by Sand Bay Beach and Resort, uh, Hall of Fame angler, Dale Strohshine. I believe he will be having, if you go online, I think that walleye school is going to be going on mid-March here, Tom. So that looks like a great deal with the uh, cost of lodging and everything included. I've talked to friends who've done it, and they said it's a great time, so I would highly recommend that. If you got cabin fever and you want to get out and go do something, weather's getting nicer. And, Tom, uh, you were talking about bouncing things off the bottom of the lake. Um, so I got kind of a humorous story to relate. Uh, first of all, Tom, have you ever had an anchor that you just threw into the lake without the rope attached? No, but Dan Small did that to me on the Fox River. I took him on really? the Fox River. I said, Danny, throw that uh, anchor in. He threw the anchor in, but there was no rope attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, I bet he never want to admit to that one, huh? Oh, probably He probably forgot about it, you know? That, that, part, of the show, that part of the show probably got edited out. Yep, uh, of course it did. Yeah, <laughs> but if it, were, if it were John Gillespie, I think they just put it in there. Part of the... <laughs> part of the deal so we had kind of a comical chain of events so we were jigging on this lake called clear lake and uh al has his you know whatever his little perch jig on and he hooks he hooks a branch down there and uh and he snagged on a branch so rather than break the line the guy that we're with randy goes he says uh Okay, he says, uh, anybody got a, a weight, you know, like the little clip-on weight that you use ice fishing, you know. I always keep mine. I got a blaze pink one on a right, you know, clip to my coat where I don't yeah. lose it. Now, something in me, something told me, something told me, I don't want to give him my clip. It's my only one. And he said, well, he's got a whole bunch in box somewhere. So after about five minutes of rummaging through a bunch of stuff, he finally found one. So <laughs> two seconds later... I'm in the back of the trailer jigging, and I hear, bloop, and he goes, did you see that? Am I a dumb, whatever he said, blankety blank. I said, well, I said, I didn't see it, but I heard it. He, 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 took, he took the thing, and he thought he had it clipped to the line, you know, to Al's line, which was snaked on the bottom, but it wasn't. So he took, and he basically just threw a perfectly good weight, bloop, right in the hole. So apparently... Apparently, what he was trying to do was clip it on the line so it slides on down to the line right. and then, then catches the bait, apparently, which I guess sounds like it's a pretty good trick. So now we got the jig down there, and now we got 
one, one weight. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, boy, I'm glad I didn't volunteer to give him my, my weight <laughs> because I just had a feeling. That, and so then he's like, okay, he says, no problem, guys. He said, uh, I got this magnet. So he pulls out this really powerful magnet. In fact, I think I'm going to get me one of those. It looked like a cylindrical disc about three inches in diameter. And I was surprised. I thought my little clip-on weight was just lead. But he came over and I, clink, it stuck right to it. So it's not just lead on my little clip-on weight. So he thought, okay, I'm going to use this and get it. So he's got this kind of a rope contraption. And uh, I don't know what he had, a leader at the end. And so he he clips that on, <laughs> lowers it to the bottom of the hole, pulls up, pulls it out, nothing. Lost the magnet now, too. Oh, so now he's oh. got the jig. Yeah, the magnet. And he's going, son of a gun. I th how did that come up? Now I thought I had that clip. So now I'm really laughing. Like, okay, now we got a jig. <laughs> now we got... Now we now we got the, the the little weight and now we lost the magnet too. What else are we gonna throw down the hole here? So then he then he says, okay, I got an idea. So now I'm really getting nervous. He pulls out this big chunk of metal, right? This big chunk of metal. I don't know what it was off, but it's a big chunk of metal. He says, I'm gonna lower this down. So I'm thinking, well, maybe you ought to just leave well enough alone. We've lost enough stuff. But then he lowers that on down. And by golly, he uh, by golly he did get the uh, he did get the uh, he got his uh, magnet back, and I believe he also got what else did he get back? I think he got the ba I think they did get the bait. Uh, so we finally got those three things out of the hole, but never did get the the weight that he threw down there. So after all that work to save a 99 cent jig, we lost a two dollar weight down there. But it was just comical, one thing after another. But you know we all do. We all do goofy things like that sometimes, I, where you're like, I, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, I, I feel for him because I had an experience many years ago where, you know, when you, I was tying a musky bucktail on, and you know, when you, when you tie a lure on, you got a tag end of line, you know, that's sticking out. You know, it could be just a few inches, could be a foot long, whatever. Well, anyway, after I tied it on, you know, you cut the tag end off. Well, I cut the tag, well, I cut what I thought was a tag end, and I threw the bucktail in the water. So I, you know, I'm getting ready to fish. The only problem was I cut the wrong end. I didn't cut the tag end. I cut the line that go into the rod, and I just threw a perfectly good bucktail right in the lake. So I learned my lesson, and I never did that again. Yeah, so yeah. I know where uh, he's coming from. Yeah, I, feel, I can feel his pain. I've done, I've done some things in the past. Uh, I remember one time I was get, just getting into sucker fishing, and uh, I thought, you know, it's really hard. I kept dropping those things, and they, it's hard to, as I'm trying to put them on the harness. So I, I got the bright idea. I got those uh, yellow Playtex gloves that you wash your dishes with, right? Yeah. And I, I put those babies on, and I put, a, I, put a, I put a death grip on that sucker, hooked it up, went to throw it overboard, belly up. I put it in a death grip with those yellow gloves. Yeah, it <laughs> gripped all right. Gripped so good, I killed my $8 sucker. Never oh, used no. those again. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we I guess we've all we've all had things happen sometimes. Uh, oh, another yeah. funny story he's talking about, and I could relate to this. He said years ago he bought a musky lure for about ten bucks, and back that time it was it was a lot of money, and uh, he didn't even have any uh, musky gear necessarily. So he just took his biggest spinning rod and reel and put on that big old 
giant musky lure. He went, he's fishing there and he's in the boat with his girlfriend or wife and he's, oh, watch this. I got to see how this bait looks in the water. He launches a mighty cast and it just keeps going and going and going right to the end of the spool, pink the line and off bloop into the drink. And oh, there he is no. sitting with an empty reel and never even got to see how that how that how that uh, uh, lure would work in the water so yeah we've all been that guy staring blankly with a dumbfounded look at our reel sometimes when goofy stuff like that happens yeah i was uh one time yeah you know talking about throwing things in a lake uh, well two things actually one time when i was guiding it was, it was a, a father and his you know maybe about a 12 year old son and i and i told the 12 year old son make sure you put the rods, lay the rods down in the boat when you're done with one, don't like stand it up. Well, he didn't listen too good and he made a cast and he hooked the rod that was standing up behind him and threw that rod in the lake, the musky rod and reel, and uh, I started right away, I started jigging for it. I got a heavier bait on, you know, and I started, look, I finally got it and I got it in the boat and the guy's, the kid's father said, well, how much money did you save me there? And I said, about 200 bucks, you know? <laughs> It saved you some money because I found it. But another time, I was fishing in a tournament, and I had a really nice bass coming to the boat, a big one. And uh, it got off right by the boat, and I got so mad. I'd never done this before in my life, never before or after. But I got so mad missing that fish, I took a mighty heave and threw that rotten reel in the lake. And I thought, boy, that was stupid of me. <laughs> that was dumb. So I guess we've all been there. Oh, yep, been there, done that. Yeah, so. we've all done dumb things. So you know, oh, the well, other and, other interesting. Know, as we get older, Danny, we get a little smarter, you know. I don't know, Tom. I I think as we get a little older, maybe we get smarter, but we just forget a lot of stuff. Yeah, does that make true. sense? We get smarter, we just forget a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's very possible. I know I forget stuff, but I'm not forgetting a break that's coming up, and I'm not forgetting the Hornschwaggle. That's right, folks. We're going to be playing the Hornschwaggle, and it's brought to you by uh, Carl's Country. I got it. I almost had a brain fart there. Carl's Country Market on Menominee Falls on Silver Spring and uh, uh, Pilgrim Road. You can win a $10 gift certificate to Carl's. It's an awesome meat market. But I'll tell you what, they've got like a hundred award-winning sausages there, and they got so much other. You might want to check it out. Anyway, all you got to do to be a contestant, and that's only if you haven't won in the last two months. Now, the lady that lost a few weeks ago, she can call back because she didn't win, of course. But we anyway, had a, seven nine. Uh, what? Yeah. We okay. had a few other people that haven't yep. won as well that right, contested. Right. So yeah, we just want new blood to have a chance to win. That's why we go if you've won in the last two months. So, yeah, right. give us give us a call. I, I promise the questions will be easy today. All right. All you got to do, folks, is call 414-799-1250. That's 799-1250. And Sam, not Joe, will answer your call. So stay tuned for more, folks. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Wacky Wildlife 
Cutting Edge Outdoors, I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Newbauer. We always take the time to thank the law enforcement officers out there protecting us. We back the badge 110%, and uh, if the police officer tells you to do something, yes, sir, right away, sir, and you won't have any problems. We also thank the uh, uh, first responders, military, and uh, healthcare workers out there helping to keep, uh, keep us safe. So once again, thanks for what you do, and thanks for a lot of them that are listening right now. We got a, a contestant yet there, Sam? No, we are still waiting. Oh, 799-1250, folks. That's 799-1250 to be a contestant in the Hornschwaggle. Area prom- code 414. Uh, yes, Danny promises to uh, make it uh, somewhat easy on you today. Yes. So, okay. so, while we wait for a caller there, Tom, I'm... Uh, I got some information. We were talking about electronics earlier. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it, it, more and more stuff's coming out. I, You know, I bought, I finally got this phone and it came with 4G. Well, I, I didn't know, you know, 4G from, you know, abracadabra. What's 4G? Well, now, of course, they're talking about something about 5G cellular networks. And I got some information, uh, courtesy of Boat US, um, that... Some of the uh, the 5G cellular cellular networks might mess with the GPS uh, navigation on your boat. So it says a 5G mobile data network operating near the GPS frequency could have a negative impact for boaters on marine navigation and weather forecasts. So uh-huh. I don't have any 4G, but just something to be aware of, I guess, for those that do have all that technology. And I know a lot of guys, we went with Captain... Uh, Jason Wood out, out on uh, Lake Michigan, and, man, he had all the up-to-date, uh, you know, radar. You could see it's like watching a weather channel. You could see the storms coming in. In fact, one time when he first had that, he warned a bunch of people out there, and they got off the lake, and he probably saved some people. But apparently uh, with this 5G on the uh, cellular phone, maybe that might mess with it. Just something to be aware of. So right. sometimes more technology is not necessarily the best thing in the world. But uh, I guess it can be too much of any good thing. But we do have a lucky contestant on the Alrighty. line, Tom. All right, we got Bob and Pewaukee. Bob and Pewaukee. All right, Bob. Morning, guys. Good morning. Morning. Okay, Bob. So thanks for uh, listening and calling in. So you know how this works. I'm going to make a statement. And uh, if I'm lying to you, then basically it's a horn swoggle. If I'm telling the truth, it's no hornschwaggle. So here we go. Uh, today's topic is going to be basically sights on rifles because I'm thinking of what kind of uh, scope I'm going to get on my Kimber Classic, which I got from our good friend and listener, Tom. But uh, so uh, sights. So first, first one, peep sight, the peep sight. Uh, for many years, peep sight has been recommended as a good option for hunting in close, in woods, and for running game. Hornschwaggle or no hornschwaggle? That's a no hornschwaggle. No hornschwaggle. Good, good. Okay, the venerable, you know, guys, if you ever read, uh, if you ever read uh, gun magazines and hunting magazines, they always like to use the word venerable. So anyway, uh, watch for it. You'll see it. The venerable Winchester Model 94 3030 
came standard with the four power Weaver scope. Hornschwaggle or no Hornschwaggle? That is Hornschwaggle. Hornschwaggle. All right, we got a winner. We already got we already got a winner. So uh, yeah, and let's see the next uh, the next. Uh, I guess we'll just you're already two for two. You're winner. So tell you what, uh, make sure Bob that you leave your uh, address, name and address with uh, with Joe. I just did that on purpose. I mean with Sam, Tom. And uh, I'll get that mailed out to you. $10 gift certificate. Have you been to Carl's Country uh, Market before, Bob? I have. Some of the best brats you're ever going to have. You got that right, buddy. So, all right. You can use your $10 well. So, make sure you leave that. And thanks for listening. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. All right. Take care, Bob. Bob. Oh, good. We got a winner. I like to hear that. Winner, winner. And um, one one thing I want to mention, you know, for a lot of guys... uh, if you are looking at getting rifle scopes, one of the best brands of rifle scopes I feel out there is is the Leopold. I believe they are made in America. Now, the they they came out with a great scope a couple of years ago, which I put on both my 44 Magnum carbine and on my uh, Browning X-Bolt 270. It's the very X3i, and it has this Twilight Max type system, which cuts out uh, uh, glare and so forth while at the same time you know amplifying low light waves so you can really see in low light conditions and it's a, you could get it for like 399 bucks so it wasn't an $800 scope but it wasn't the $159 scope so I felt the quality and price point were right interesting thing uh, if you're looking to get one of those scopes Leopold no longer is making that line so that line's been discontinued but you can probably still go and uh, and find one because I'm sure some of the major shops are going to be having some left. So I would suggest that. Now they have come up with Tom a scope that's uh, basically it's the Leopold Variax 3HD, which seems like it's kind of the replacement for the line. Now the bad news is it's a hundred dollars more. The good news is is you can get that scope, and actually once you get it you can actually send something to Leopold with the information on what load you're going to use and the ballistics, and they can send you back a, uh, I guess they call that the turret that goes on top, and they, they can send you that back to you where you have a custom dial on top of your scope where, like, if the deer is at 350 yards, you just go click, click, click to 3.5, and you're dead on for 300. If the deer's at 450, you go click, click, click to 4.5. So I, I'm thinking I'm going to have to buy me one of those new scopes, even though it's going to cost me $499. Well, if you think it's worth it, that'll be just fine, right? Well, that's right, you know, and, and more and more people are getting into that long-range shooting, although I think they're all going a little bit crazy. Uh, once this uh, round called the 6.5 Creedmoor came out, which is a flat shooting uh, round that was used for, you know, targeted distance, it just seems like that. And everybody, everybody wants to shoot at 700 yards now. But I still think ethically, most hunters are pushing it at three to 400 yards. You don't want to start just popping it off at stuff and ending, ending up wounding games. So I, I think some people are going a little bit too nuts with the long range shooting thing. Yeah. Well, we got a email. I'll do this quick email. We can always discuss it later on. But uh, this is from Ken. 
Ken, Ken says, Tom, what do you think about the recent wolf hunt? The DNR released the harvest count three different times, starting at 80 and ending at about 210. Does this sound a little suspicious to you? To me, it has a definite fragrance to it. I think the DNR initially said the target wolf population was 350. You're right, Ken. But I think now we are at around 1,200. You're wrong, Ken. Uh, it is a lot more than 1,200 wolves in the state of Wisconsin. And, yes, the DNR did want a population of 350. That's why I don't understand why they only said they wanted 180-some wolves shot and killed. It's like if you want to get down to 350, why wouldn't you allow a hell of a lot more shot? Well, in as far as, you know, the DNR probably uh, fudging the numbers so that they could close the season early, you know, Ken, I don't think we'll ever find out unless we get a, what was that guy called in the Watergate trials, the guy who gave all the information? Uh, a deep, deep throat. throat. We'd need a deep throat in the DNR. So, you know, Tom, to tell us if here's... That if that happened or not, you know. So. so, so here's so here's the deal, Tom. What what the DNR did, from what I understand, was they wanted 200 wolves harvested, of which 80 would go to the tribes. So that left 120 for the sportsmen. Um, but I believe a total of 216 I heard was taken, which was above. Now that 216, I'm not quite sure if that includes the 80 that the tribe took or not. I don't think it does include the 80. I, I think they're upset because it went above the it went above the 120 that they wanted regular sportsmen to get and they got 216 instead of that 120. I believe the tribe still got their 80. But regardless, they still felt that they should have. The guy said who was in charge of it says he should have shut the hunt down a day before. Now, I'm not like you, Tom, where you want to just kill them all and you don't trust the DNR at all. Uh, I, I don't think the DNR is fudging anything on oh, it. Oh, no, I never but, said I don't I, trust them. I didn't say that. I, okay, well, I'm all right. You didn't, that, okay, you didn't say it, but you said it. But uh, just, I do all I'm think... All i is that if, if, if you know, to, to know whether or not it's true or not, we'd need somebody within the DNR, you know... Well, that's what's the difference person. between that and not trusting them? <laughs> Well, because you don't know for sure, because they've well, you know, BS'd us before. You know, fool me once. That's my definition of not trust. Shame on me, you know. But that's all. you never trust them. But I, I, I think whatever the case may be, if they shot too many, my attitude is, so what? Who cares? Because there's so exactly. many wolves. Now, I, I don't, I'm not going to be go crazy and say there's 8,000 wolves that everybody seems to say. I will say, though, that they're probably, the number, from what I understand, when they say there's 1,160 wolves, or whatever the heck they say, I believe that has to be actually verified wolves. Those are ones that they've actually verified. That's not an estimate. But if they can only verify that, then there obviously are, you're right, Tom, there's obviously a lot more out there that they can't verify. But the it'd be nice to hear them actually say we've got this many verified wolves, and this is the actual estimated population that we have. But I seem, it does seem like they do blur those two lines together yeah, and I when they come up with the number. Yeah, I just don't understand why, if they want to get the wolf population down to 350, like they say, why do they limit the hunt to a couple of hundred? Why don't they limit the hunt to maybe like uh, six or seven hundred? Well, you know, I don't think... To get it down think... to the 350. I don't think they want to get it down to 350 anymore now. They did use that number way back when, back in the day, 
when they said we'd like to get the population up to 350 and keep it right there. But, but uh, at this point, it obvious they're obviously not trying to get it down to 350. No, they're not. Well, I got to thank Ken for sending us that email, and folks, you can do that too. Oh, yeah, here's another one right away. Dennis is writing us. There's a oh boy. I'm, you know what? During this break, I'm going to send it to you. Okay, Danny. Okay, sounds I'll send good. it to you. And we're, right now, we got to go to the top of the hour break show, uh, folks. It's only be a couple minutes, so stay tuned for more with Dan Bush, myself, Tom Newbauer, Sam Schmidt's on the boards right here in the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoors. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi, and every river, lake, and field in between, let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! <laughs> You're on the crazy train! <laughs> Welcome to the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoors Show. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 1250 AM, The Fan. Well, I hate to tell you folks who enjoy ice fishing, but spring is right around the corner. The weather is getting nicer, and uh, I, for one, am happy about it. The snow's going away. It's starting to get warmer. But like I said, for those of you who enjoy ice fishing, and I know there's a lot of you who do, uh, too bad, folks. You have to wait another year. Anyway, folks, this is the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. We come to you every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. We are live, so you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, 799-1250 is the phone number. That's 414-799-1250 if you want to join the show. Or you can always email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. Well, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Sam. Morning. And morning, Dan, did morning. you get the email I sent you? Not yet. We got Joe on the line. Okay, great. Let's go. Hey, let's hey. go to Joe, and uh, hey. yeah, we'll talk a little fishing with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Hey, morning. How's it going, guys? Good. Going, going good. Um, try, try, try and speak clear. You're coming in a little quiet there, Joe. So I know you're probably on the road right now, but uh, I want you, I want you to talk to us a little bit about the the college fishing. A team experience you go to Oshkosh kind of tell our listeners a little bit about that because I thought that was pretty interesting can you hear me now does it sound better yeah yeah that's good uh, yeah. yeah so uh we have a college club over at uh University of Wisconsin Oshkosh um some of the activities we do is we uh, volunteer for tournaments and help out tournaments um take people out fishing but uh I think one of the best things we do is we uh, do Bassmaster and FLW tournaments. We can do it all over the country, but recently we've been going down south and uh, a little south of the Midwest and doing it. That's been a great time doing that. Let me let me ask you, Joe, like you've got an Oshkosh team. Does every college have a team or is it just select ones? I guess who's your competition out there? Um, I guess a competition is, not not every college has a team. It's kind of it's very student driven. So any anyone can start a club. Like Oshkosh just kind of had this club like the last ten years. Um, but our main competition, I know Stevens Point has a team. 
Uh, Platteville's a team across as a team. And uh, last year when we competed, we uh, saw them there. We always we also saw them at uh, the Wabasha FLW tournament, too. So, yeah, a lot of homebodies down there as well. So, hey, Joe, I got a question. Go How many credits do you get for this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, none. <laughs> none? What's the matter with that school? You're, you're, you're gaining valuable information and life experience, and they're not giving you any credit for it? Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, now, if you win any money in these tournaments, does that mean you're no longer an amateur athlete? Can you, uh, can you get, in tr- get in trouble with the NCAA? <laughs> yeah, so, unfortunately, you can only uh, compete for a trophy. They won't, really? Uh, yeah, they won't let you. Well, see, the school funds these tournaments. They, uh, they pay for the gas and the housing, and if we did a tournament that was to win money, they wouldn't let us do that. It has to be okay. kind of trophy, college-based tournament. Well, geez, you know, Joe, I got a bunch of weightlifting trophies in my place here collecting dust. They make a good hat hanger. Oh, man, I want that cash. So, well, maybe <laughs> now, once, let me ask you this. When you graduate, uh, which will be in about a year, it's, it's hard to believe time flies, Tom. I took Joe out and his buddy Jacob uh, fishing when they just graduated years ago, and all of a sudden they're talking about entering senior year. Um, but when you graduate, do you think, would you consider doing uh, the Bast Circuit or even being a professional tournament angler, or what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, 100%. The problem is I just need a boat right now. <laughs> well, so, uh, as soon as I get a boat, that's uh first thing I'm doing is uh, some sort of tournament. And, and well, you need the money, too. Yeah, and the money. Those things, yeah, those tournaments are expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, you can... Think, uh, you can Joe, you can do like, be like, a, well, Ron Johnson, he's got his own boat. He's sponsored now. He's doing pretty well. He's been in some prestigious tournaments. He started out in Arizona. I remember he told me years ago as a co-angler. He didn't have a boat, and he was just a co-angler. But then he finished really high doing that, and then that was just a stepping stone. So maybe you can get, get in on the ground level as some kind of a co-angler. Yeah, I know some tournaments. As a co-angler, you could uh, actually win a boat. They'll have they'll have the tournaments where the, the actual boat drivers are competing against each other. They'll have the co-anglers, which compete against each other too. And and uh, if you win, some of these tournaments give give you a boat, so it's a good upgrade. If I want a tournament like that. Let me ask you, Joe. Do you do a lot of fishing right around Oshkosh itself, up by the college? Do you guys have any you know hot spots that you go to? Um. Yeah, I, I've been out of Winnebago and Poygan a few times just for ice fishing. But uh, the boat I have right now that's a little too small for those lakes, so I go near uh, Wawawiga and Fremont. That fish okay. those uh, like Bear Lake and like White Lake and just the smaller bodies of water for now. A little bit of a drive, but got to get right. past somehow. So real quick, uh, can you t- tell tell you tell our listeners about the time? You came out musky fishing with me and your slacker buddy Jacob, and tell us what happened. Yeah, so I uh, gosh, I was like in the middle of July, like two and a half years ago, and uh, yeah, so he took us out, and I caught. Remember, I caught that pike at first. We thought I was hoping it was a musky, but it was like a thirty-five inch pike. That was nice. That was a nice pike. That was a fun to catch. Yep. Then uh, <laughs> near the end of the day, uh, we were trolling on uh, Pewaukee, and then you got a hit, and it was, it was running fast, too, and I was like, so you know what, Jacob, I got that pike last, you get this, 
whatever it is. And uh, sure enough, it was a 46-inch muskie. <laughs> yeah, I let him get and Jake, Jacob never even knew what he had there. Uh, I knew when I handed the rod to him that it was big, and then it come, came leaping out of the water once. But I gave Joe credit, Tom, because Jacob wasn't even, he's not really even a fisherman. In fact, Joe, you were supposed to have another buddy who was, I think, the more avid fisherman go with. But then when he leaked out on you, you said, ask Jacob to come along. And Jacob's a good sport. Uh, but you were nice enough to say, well, I caught one fish, you take the next. But it's, it's so common because the guy who's the real avid fisherman normally isn't the one who gets, gets the biggest fish. It's normally the guy who's kind of tagging along is the one that lucks out. It's just kind of ironic. Yeah, right. Uh, it's funny how that happens. Well, you, so, you, you, St. Peter gave you points for that one, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Joe was a good sport about it. He didn't even get mad at his buddy. You know, some guy, sometimes, Tom, you know, I can be fishing with my brother Tim and and I can even start getting a little ticked off if my brother is catching more fish than me in the one end. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing. You like you almost start grumbling. Uh, the other guy's getting more fish, but Joe handled it good. So, any uh, big fishing tournaments what, coming up this uh, this spring? Now, what's your first one? You got it planned yet or not? So due to COVID, and well, they won't let us use the budget for travel. So okay. I'm gonna have to wait till next year during the fall, and I'm gonna try to find a Bassmaster FW tournament to do. Hopefully, we'll both buy them for the school. And uh, yeah, they have the regional tournaments. They have it's like a Bassmaster Classic for uh, college anglers. So that'd be kind of cool if I get uh, find my way in the the main national championship. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. Cool. I appreciate you calling in there, Joe. And uh, when you win your first national tournament, we expect you to give a call. And uh, if you ever need any advice on bass tactics, you're Tom Neubauer here, the guy you're talking to. He's he's a guy who's won a lot of tournaments there, buddy. For sure, for sure. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's been awesome to talk to you. Yeah, thanks All for right. calling, Joe. Take care, Joe. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, Bye. Okay. Uh, yeah, we got another email. Now you probably have it, Danny, from Dennis. Um. It said that the wolf uh, season was supposed to go until February 28th, but it was closed on uh, February 24th. As of 3 p.m. Uh, that day, there was 216 wolves reported of the 119 wolf quota allocated by the state. Uh, they did not get the number of the 81 wolves that were allocated to the Ojibwa tribes. They did not report how many that they have got yet. So you were right. They they were not, like, lumped together, you know. Right. So, so potentially, if the Ojibwa tribes got their 81, they potentially could have harvested close to 300 Yeah, wolves. almost 300, yeah, right. And uh, when I was up there with Al fishing in North Dakota, he, uh, he showed me on his phone a friend of his and a group of guys they use dogs, and I believe they got four. Uh, well, in fact, uh, so they must have had at least four guys with tags, but they were uh, they had dogs, and apparently those uh, those dogs are a pretty efficient way of uh, of getting them, kind of like bear hunting, I guess. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it says here that the, of the info that Dennis sent us from Madison, uh, it said that 86% of the wolves taken were taken by dogs or with the use of dogs. 
5% taken by trappers, and 9% taken by other hunting methods. So dogs were a main part of this. So that's a tough life for a dog to have to go after wolves, you know. Yeah, tough well, it's, some of those dogs, I mean, they, they're bear dogs and so forth. Uh, some of those dogs are amazingly tough as well. And I, I'm guessing it's a numbers thing, Tom. I'd, I'd like to go on a hound hunt sometime. Uh, I'm guessing that they chase the wolves, and then when they get them to stop uh, and maybe kind of turn and square off and try and fight, I'm guessing the dogs don't really get in there too much. They just kind of harass them and keep them surrounded till hunters can come. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. You know, I saw the picture of the one friend at Tom's holding the wolf you ever notice that guys when they shoot when when hunters shoot either cougars aka mountain lions or wolves they always take a picture of them holding it in a in a bear hug where their their arms are wrapped around it and they're hugging and holding it up it's just kind of comical oh, how yeah, they do yeah, that i've seen those before yeah yeah and, and i don't know if it's to make just let people see how big it is in comparison to their body it's not like when you're posing with the deer where you're holding the head, but they all show them holding it. Um, but it looked like a pretty good-sized gray wolf. I, I saw a picture in a, a magazine, a Predator magazine years ago, where a guy was in Canada, and he's he told the story, and then he has a picture. He's holding a huge black wolf. And, man, it looked like he was holding a small bear. Was that cool? I would love to get something like that someday. That's a bucket list. Say I'm I, I'm going to pick up my black squirrel this week. I think a black wolf would be a little cooler. Well, you, you'll have your chances fall, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Maybe you'll have a chance. Now, we got to go to a quick break, folks. So, uh, of course, no uh, football picking contest this week, of course. <laughs> That's all over with. we got a little ways to wait for that again. But uh, we'll be right back with more. But I do have a... Uh, a point of information about football when we come back. So <clears throat> stay tuned, folks. You're listening to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm looking out my window, Tom. I see a train going by, and uh, we want to thank our listeners for getting aboard the crazy train with myself and Tom. Yeah, we do appreciate people hanging around. And, you know, I'll tell you, Danny, I mean, today's going to – now, wait a minute. Is today the day it's going to be 46 degrees? Is that it, I think? And and tomorrow around the same. I mean, boy, this I, I heard that next week we could be hitting the 50s. So uh, that ice is going to be melting, and I wonder how much snow is coming off the ice already if uh, if you start needing ice cleats, you know, I, so you don't go I, slipping into sliding. I will say, Tom, I, that, that was the one thing that I did forget Uh-oh. when I went up there. And we had a day where it got up to close to 40, and we had a, like a 30-mile-an-hour wind, and it went from snow on the ice to like three inches of water on the ice with glare ice underneath. Uh-oh. And we'd get a tip-up, and you had to just, I mean, it was it was risky. None of us took a header. And uh, the one thing I did forget was my cleats, but uh, Randy let me use his up there. 
But it, uh, yeah, it, it was risky. You know, you ever kind of think about it? We hunters and or we fishermen, we're never happy. All we do all year at the beginning of the year is I'll start talking about when are we going to get ice? When are we going to get ice? And now this time of year we're talking about when's the ice going to go out? When's the ice going to go out? So yep. it's like we're always, we're always looking for the for it to be uh, the grass to be greener on the other side. But I guess that's what keeps it interesting. Well, that's true. And like I said, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, ice fishing is their mainstay. That's what they really like, enjoy. And, uh, you know, a lot of construction workers, you know, get out, you know, in the wintertime, more so in the summertime. So, but, you know, like I said before, I'm sorry to say, but, you know, that's going to be coming to an end pretty soon. So uh, we probably have another couple weeks of it. And then, uh, and then i got to remind everybody, too, I think we talked about it. We hit on it last week. I, I'm not sure, but... Uh, you know, bass season is open year-round. It's just that the catch-and-keep season starts on uh, first Saturday in May. But so this April, people will be fishing for bass. They just got to throw them back. That's all. So. Right. And the other thing we're not going to do, Tom, is this. We're not going to tell people to be careful out there on the ice because they should know enough what they're doing out there anyway. And there's too much stuff, billboards that say, buckle up, put a mask on, listen that. Okay, I'm tired of all the safety warnings. We're big boys. We can take care of ourselves. So we're not going to do that, Tom. Okay. Yeah, good. They, <laughs> okay. can take care, they can take care of themselves. We don't have to go watch out on the ice. Oh, let's make sure you wear your mask and wash your hands. I'm just tired of it. Yeah. I'm tired of the nanny state. So am I. Pretty, pretty soon that'll be over, too. You know, pretty hey, soon. Uh, uh, can we talk augers a little bit, Tom? Sure, why not? Okay, so we were up there and, uh, and with Randy up, and he had, it's the first time we've ever used it, he had, I believe it was an Eskimo auger, and then he was using a Milwaukee tool uh, drill, a cordless drill with a battery on it, and I think, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know, I think size 18, I don't know, whatever. Uh, I'm not a drill expert, but it was a certain size and voltage, whatever power that you wanted. And it was incredible how light that thing was. Now it was an eight inch drill and it just, and it's not even a metal auger. It's, it's like made out of plastic and wow. it just cut through the ice like butter. Al Shook was so impressed that he went to a local hardware store there and normally they're like 200 bucks. He bought one for 150 and when we got back on Thursday night, he was going to go looking for that exact Milwaukee drill to use. Uh, because huh. apparently he, the guy had used another name brand of drill and that burnt out, didn't work. So he was going to get that exact setup because he said the only thing that's kept him from ice fishing in year, recent years is it's just so much work drilling holes. And this thing works really slick. So now I went and got an 8-inch laser hand auger a while ago, which, you know, I, you know, it's still okay for drilling holes. It doesn't kill me. But I'll tell you, this uh, this one with the drill, I think, is the way to go. If, have you or your son or anybody ever, you know, used those? Yeah, as a matter of fact, quite a few years ago when they first be were starting to become popular, I did a TV show with my son Nick and his brother-in-law, Devin. And Devin had uh, the attachment that goes from the drill to the auger. And... Uh, yeah, I was just totally amazed to see how easy that was to go through. And, yeah, you have to have a minimum 18-volt drill. 
and a lot right. Of that's what I. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, a lot of drills will work. You know, there's a lot of good drills out there, but Milwaukee Tools, made right here. I think they're in Brookfield. Uh, they do a heck of a good job. They make some very fine uh, tools, and uh, but yeah, as long as you got an 18 volter, uh, you know, and and a lot of drills are coming in 20 volt, 36 volt. You know, they're coming even bigger, but there's an adapter called uh, Nimrod that adapts to your auger and your drill that make it super easy. And, man, you can drill a lot of holes with just a charge of one battery. But a lot of guys, what they'll do is they'll, they'll have, like, one of those real small coolers and have some of those heat packs in it, and they'll have an extra battery in there keeping it warm. And uh, so if they got to drill another 30 or 40 holes, they, they got some extra power, you know. So, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's... those are pretty cool. Cool. That's great advice, Tom. You know, that's yeah, great advice for our listeners. The things you learn listening to listening to the show. I guess we got a bunch of callers on the line, Tom. I don't know Good. about what, but let's roll with them. All right, let's first roll. one up. Let's go with William and Elm Grove. Hey, William, how you doing today? Oh, good morning, gentlemen. I enjoy your show. Thank I you. I just wanted to wholeheartedly, one hundred percent agree uh, with that last segment about the milwaukee drill with the attachment auger oh yeah for, i'm i'm 45 and for all my life i've used one of those blue eight inch augers that kill your shoulders and your back and <laughs> oh yeah 24 inches of ice it gets to be quick quite tiresome they'll kill two, you yeah two weeks ago uh i got one of those and we were up at our cottage way up north and oh my gosh you could drill 30 holes with one drill, and it takes five seconds. It's the most amazing thing. Yeah, I, I think now you use the Milwaukee uh, drill itself then. Is that what you have? Yes, 18 volt. Okay. That sounds like it sounds like that's the magic one to get. I guess those Milwaukee drills are really something. And then oh, I, yeah. think, I think the brand that Al bought, it was a red auger. Eskimo, I think, was the name brand. I don't, I don't know what you got, but sure yeah, works slick. Mine's black. I, I don't remember the name, but, uh, yeah, and I got the 8-inch auger um, because up, up there you need it. And, oh, I, I can't believe all these years I've been using that blue corkscrew killing my shoulders. You know what? I gave, I gave my two blue <laughs> Mora augers away years ago after I wrecked my elbows and shoulders to the point where I would have to take six ibuprofen, drink six beers. I'm not kidding now. Of course, I would have drank the six beers anyway. And wrap my elbows in ace bandages and grit my teeth and try and drill a 18-inch hole on Lake Geneva years ago. Oh, my right, God. I, right. I gave those things away. They, they killed you. Oh, yeah. And these are so light. I mean, they're easy to carry out. You put it, I mean, it's so nice. But anyway, All right. thank you so much. Well, th thanks for the call and thanks for listening. Yeah, take care now. All right, Sam, we got time for one more caller. Uh, we got two on hold. We probably got time to go to one, and if the other will probably have to hold through break. But what do we got? All right, let's go to Al in Delafield. Al in Delafield. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Danny and Tom. How are you? Good. Doing good. Yeah, we got you about three minutes, Al. I've got a question for Danny. Okay. When your dog runs away in North Dakota, for how many days can you watch it? It's so flat in North Dakota, if your dog runs away, you can watch it. You can watch it run away for two days. 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah, Dan, I, I uh, picked up that hammer drill. The Milwaukee hammer drill was is what uh, goes on that on that auger. And was able to find it at a local store, so uh, it works out pretty good. It's it's just amazing, Tom, how fast. Once Randy let me try it to drill a hole, I wouldn't let him drill any more holes. I was going all around the lake punching men, and then one of the days Dan did the same thing, and all I did was go around and clean out the holes. It's just for a guy that used to crank those old spoons, and now these new Mora drills. It, the shoulders, and like Dan said, shoulders and elbows just don't take it anymore. They're too old and beat up. Right, right. But uh, I'll be able to get a lot more ice fishing in now with something that can doesn't kill me. And it's my not too heavy get, to drag out on the ice. No. It, it's, and my arms would get so tired drilling holes, I couldn't jig. I had to bobber fish. I couldn't jig anything. My arms were so sore. Oh, so, geez. So yeah, you're gonna try a- you're gonna try that Al up at your cabin this weekend, right? Up in Crivets, you're gonna give her a whirl. Well, we're thinking about it, but uh, I got a lot of work I got to do up there. I haven't been up there for a month, so we'll probably go up next weekend and uh, see what's going on and give it a whirl then. I think right. the open fishing season for game fish that closes next Sunday, Tom, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's okay. uh, I think it's something like March seventh, maybe. Something yeah. like that. Okay. That sounds about right. I just want to make sure that uh, if I take some tip-ups or something up there, <clears throat> I don't have the warden come by and look at me funny and give me a ticket. Yeah. So. I think in your area up there, it might close a couple a couple weeks later, though. You might want to check that. All right. Yeah, I, I think north of Highway font- 10, it closes a little later. Tom, I thought you were the font of all current and present information on fishing. Uh, no, I can only guess. <laughs> I can only take I can only take good guesses. That's all. <laughs> all right. Thanks for calling. Okay, thanks, Al. Al. Good show. It's, it's been a laugh so far. All right. Thanks, all right. Al. Take all right. Uh, Danny, we got to go to another break. While we go, you might want to check your email. I, uh, Ron Heidenreich sent us uh, some pictures of a big wolf. I just don't know who shot that wolf. Anyway, looking we'll at right the big. Back. Huh? Looking at it right now, man. It's awesome. Yeah, the big wolf. Anyway, we'll be right back, folks, with more of the skip, uh, Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoors. Stay tuned for more. Welcome back to Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. Thanks for uh, getting on board the crazy train this morning. we got a half hour left, approximately, a little less than that. And I believe uh, we still have a caller on hold there, uh, Sam, I am. Yep, we got Bill from the Sportsman's Den. Bill from Sportsman's Den. Yeah, good morning, Bill. Hey, top of the morning, guys. I went fishing last night. <laughs> hey. It was beautiful out there. It's just now's the time to go. The fish are biting. The perch are going goopy right before dark was out on Pike Lake, a lot of nice perch, a lot of little ones. But uh, what I wanted to say was that's the first time I tried my brushless uh, Milwaukee 18-fuel drill, and it's, it's what everybody says. It's, it's just wonderful. You know, things- we're gonna, it's going to be hard to find those drills pretty soon after we publicize this on the Cutting Edge Outdoors. Everybody will be rushing out to buy them. 
Well, one of the things, if you use a, a five or a six inch blade, you don't have to have a Milwaukee, but it's when you go to the bigger blades, Milwaukee shines. But you want to make sure you get the brushless in the Milwaukee. A lot of people they'll buy them. The brushless gives you longer time, more power, everything. And uh, the, it's a half inch hammer drill. Don't get the drill. And the model number is twenty-eight oh four dash twenty. Why does it have to be a hammer drill versus a regular drill? It has more power, more more scrotum uh, testicles. You might <laughs> more, more torque, more power. <laughs> but uh, give her nuts. Uh, yeah, the the bit the the drill auger you're talking about is called a pistol bit. You can't find them anywhere. I have two left. You can also use the Nero. It's a really nice one. The Nero blade, I have several of those left. If anybody wants to come in, I have a complete package ready for them. Well, where are you, Bill? 54th and Villard in Milwaukee between Silver Spring and Hampton. And what's the phone number? 414-464-2287. All right. So, I imagine what? those will sell right away. Now, if everybody's listening, they can come on over and have you set them up. Well, that would be nice. Um, one thing I'm looking for, snuff boxes. For you guys that chew out there, I got hit so hard this winter, I have none left. I'll uh, take care of somebody. they got about big box of those laying around. Bring them in. We'll take care of you on something else. All right. Well, you got it, Bill. Thanks for um, calling. Hey, yeah, yeah. right now, i, I got to tell everybody, it's so nice out there. You don't need gloves. The ice is you can drive out there on the ice. I was on Pike. There must be 14, 15 inches of ice. Easy. Yeah, so, you still need gloves. I didn't I, use I any. All I, I didn't do. have one on all. Jeez, it's so nice. It's crazy. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big sissy when it comes to ice fishing. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a sissy as far as I wouldn't be driving on the ice now. I'm a sissy uh, that way. Uh, but uh, I was a little uh, worried. It's really slushy when you first get on, but just hit it. Just go and get. It's always on the lakes. Don't make the mistake when you first get on that ice of being chicken, because then you'll bog down in that slushy stuff. Just get going, and and if you see other trucks out there, keep your you know keep your seatbelt off, and their door kind of cracked open. Wouldn't be a wise thing, not, a bad thing not to do, just in case you know. Yeah, well, I just want to let people know that we at the Wacky Wallace the cutting edge outdoors yeah. do not. Do not always uh, recommend people driving on ice at this time of year. But if you want to do what Bill does, you call Bill. <laughs> yeah, Bill, you bonehead. Someone will go through and be suing us. Yeah. So, no, don't drive on the lake. Oh, come on. There's a lot of what ice What are you thinking, there, dude? Yeah. All right. Thanks. All right. It's a pleasure, guys. Take, Enjoy. All right. Take Talk care. to you later, Bill. Jeez. That was Bill from the uh, – uh, wait a minute. Oh, geez. Sportsman's Dan. I, Sportsman's Den, yeah, boy, I've been having some brain farts this morning. Gee whiz. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on one sec. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Entercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. There you Good. go. Thank Good. You, Thanks, Sam. buddy. Yes. And, yeah, and the prize it, packages are the sole responsibility of Tom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Danny. And the cutting edge outdoors. Oh, man. So, anyway, did you read that long thing from Jim about the Canadian opening, Canada opening? I yeah, mean, basically after reading that, uh, and he looked like he's like a legislator up yeah, in Canada, and so right. he was getting lots of people questioning. Uh, the fact is, nobody really knows what's going to happen yet. Right, exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. They're, they're I mean, talking. A lot of people give opinions, but nothing set in concrete yet. He and he he basically said he foresaw one of three things happening. One that it does open, but only people who can, you know, show documentation that they've been vaccinated or whatever, and they'll just let vaccinated people in. Uh, two, they don't open it at all this year, and uh, yeah, nobody goes across. And three, I can't remember the third one, but basically it's all up in the air right now. Sure is. Speaking of the vaccinator... Do you remember the guy's name whose nickname on the Packers was the Vaccinator? Because yeah, he's going to give you a shot. That was T-Buck. <laughs> That's it, T-Buck. T-Buck. <laughs> I always and thought I, that was... I think that, 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 was, uh, that was the guys on uh, whatever uh, station, the, uh, the crazy guys that gave him the nickname the Vaccinator. I, I thought that Bob was and Brian. Great, yeah, great nickname, great nickname. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. he's going to give you a shot, so he's the he consi- he he, he kind of compared himself to Jim Thorpe when I think when he was drafted, and that's when uh, oh. he actually went on to have a decent career. He was a yeah, decent nickelback. It's a, you know he made some picks and stuff. He he was okay, but the problem was that was at about the time that Minnesota was getting all these big tall wide receivers in Dallas and so forth. And you'd have our little receivers getting mauled by those big receivers. And after that, I don't think Ron Wolf ever drafted a cornerback that was shorter than 6'2 or 6'1 after that. Yeah. Oh, I was going to mention, I forgot that uh, something about uh, football uh, information. It looks like uh, our our Green Bay Packer quarterback is going to get married. Did you see that? Yeah, so what? Yeah, he's engaged. You know what? That's going to happen. That means his play is going to go down. Downhill. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, downhill. Nah. It's going to happen. Yeah, especially, let's put it this way. If he gets married before the season, he'll be okay. But if they're just dating during the season, oh, nope, nope, that don't work. I'm sorry. You know, if I were him, I would have stuck with uh, Danica. Uh, In fact, I think I heard Danica introduced him to her, so... That's yeah. the ultimate. Uh, that's the ultimate. Uh, poor uh, screw job to Danica, and then he was with that Mun chick before. You know what? Pro athlete like that, good-looking guy, million, multi, multi-millionaire. I think he could do better. Uh, actually, his his brother, who was on The Bachelor, I think he's married to what JoJo star, some JoJo something, and uh, she's hotter looking than Aaron's, and and his brother's not an, even an NFL quarterback, so. Yeah, well, I, I I don't think I think he could have done better. Well, it's not always the looks; it's the you know the personality and oh whatever. The person's a good. Aaron's person. a yeah. different guy too. He's 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 not like most people too. Yeah, it's he not is, always the looks. Yeah, I he mean, is a diff. He is a different cat. The one thing I will say, it seems like Aaron only wants to go out with high profile. He, I think he's red carpet Aaron. He, he it's he's not going to just find a hot-looking cheerleader somewhere. It's got, it's got to be some movie star, it seems like, or sports figure like Danica that he uh, wants to be seen with and have the star power. But uh, I don't think it'll affect his play one way or another. Yeah, and speaking of star power, he's going to be uh, a temporary guest host on Jeopardy coming up here. So Yeah, well... You know he's a he's a pretty intelligent guy, so I you know heck maybe that maybe that'd be a good thing for him to do once he retires. Um, I, you know maybe that'd be a good thing. I'll start Brett Favre should go in the booth. I think that guy <laughs> would be hilarious to listen to him up there talking. Uh, 
you know, imagine Brett. Oh yeah, yeah, because that guy's a joker. So what was? Yeah, maybe well, there, there was a skit. There was something. There was some sideline thing where they had Brett uh, mic'd up, and he was talking about pancakes. You know, Mama says you can only have one pancake. I said, Mama, give me two pancakes. Do you remember something like that? The pancake deal. No, but I'm liking your impression there, Tom. Let's keep that rolling. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. No, I remember there was, or, or the, the the other funny one was, uh, uh, oh, okay, who who was the quarterback? Uh, Sam, uh, no, wait a minute. The quarterback in the first, no, I mean the coach. John Elway. Coach of the first Super Bowl, not Vince Lombardi, the other guy, Hank Stram. Hank Stram. Hank Stram told Ken Dawson, to keep matriculating down the field. And Ken Dawson had no clue what the hell he was it, talking uh, about. <laughs> it was uh, Len Dawson, Tom. Or Len Dawson, yeah. Len. Yeah, he had Len. no clue what, what, what Mike Strand was talking about, matriculating down the field. Uh, he didn't know that one. That's uh, funny. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> we got off the, the rails there a little bit. Jackson. Just the other morning, I had breakfast at Tracy Rocker's house. His mama brought out 15 flapjacks. He said, Mama, take back five of them flapjacks. I got to say, hungry for the crimson tide. I didn't understand <laughs> the damn word he said. Well, <laughs> I like courtesy NFL films. Oh, okay. That was good. I like that. That 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 was uh, that was good. Hey maybe, uh, hey, maybe Sam, maybe you can tell us what he said. No, it was funny. That's you can't, can't you were the one it. who You were the one who mentioned it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that's all I remember, something about mama and pancakes. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Sam's not going to say that. Let, let's not say he did. Hey, okay. uh, put a plug in for birchlogs.com at Wilson Enterprises. Uh, I went. I called him up on Wednesday, and I said I need a 6-inch diameter white birch-treated log to mount my black squirrel on, a hop taxidermy. Uh, has my beautiful big male black gray squirrel with a thick winter coat. It's all done, and I got to get that log up to him. And I called him on Wednesday, and uh, yesterday I got my log in the mail. Came quick. Did you 34... say a white birch? White birch, oh, yeah. Oh, that black squirrel will look great on that. Exactly. See, I'm a genius. I figured yeah. that out. It's going to look really cool coming down that white birch. And it's kind of true to where I shot it because in the area where uh, where I do hunt and we have our cabin, it's basically a lot of birch uh, and popple and it's not really a hardwoods uh, hardwoods area. The, the squirrels have a rough life up there, my friend. So uh, it's going to look pretty cool. I'm going to hopefully, I, once I get it, Tom, I got to cut it in half and then put the flat side of the log against the wall. And then the squirrel will be coming down with its head and tail kind of up, just like they do in real life. It's going to be cool. Yeah, that will be. Hey, listen, we got to go to one last break, but when we come back, i got a squirrel question for you, all right? Okay, we got all a little right. squirrely here on us, Tom. Okay, I'll ask Danny a squirrel question. Folks, stay tuned. 799-1250 is the phone number. Uh, CEO guys at yahoo.com uh, is the email. And we'll be right back with more of the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. It's the Welcome back. 
to the final segment of the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. Uh, we want to uh, thank all our listeners out there who've uh, con- called today, emails. Uh, we actually uh, had several emails this week, Tom. One of our listeners actually sent a nice email mentioning that he uh, has joined gun owners of GOA, Gun Owners of America. And uh, he was kind of reiterating what we've been talking about, uh, how uh, we got to watch our rights. So uh, we got that. Uh, also had a, uh, a couple other emails as well. I'm kind of blanking out like you, Tom, right now on, on some of them. But, uh, oh, when a listener, when a, a listener, I think his name was Kevin, I want to think. Uh, he, uh, he called and he wanted to listen to, uh, he missed the part of our show last week where I was talking about getting a big pike up there in the Fox River. But uh, I emailed him back with some spots. It sounds like he and his buddy want to get into doing some big pike fishing through the ice. So, yeah, we appreciate all the listeners, and feel free to contact us with questions. Uh, we may not always have the right answer, but we'll sure try to help. Yeah, i got a question for you now about squirrels. Okay. Now, there's a lot of rabbits around my house. Right? Every summer, winter, they're always around. <clears throat> there's also a lot of squirrels. The only thing is, I in the last two months, I have not seen a squirrel. Are, what are they doing right now? I have not seen um, a squirrel in the last two months. You haven't seen a squirrel? No. Well, I I really don't know. I haven't noticed any lack of squirrel activity. Now, they do tend to breed right around November, I think, a lot of times. So if it's a female squirrel that you had around your place, perhaps... Perhaps they're uh, holed up with some with some utes, with some young ute squirrels. Do so, you think uh, the, do you think the snow cover has anything to do with it? The deep snow. That well, that, definitely. I, I don't think they like. Well, it's amazing though. They'll go plowing through anything. But I'm guessing, like most animals, or you know, they they're going to try and follow you know where path of least resistance. So you know, they're probably going to run on sidewalks and trails and whatever. But no, I don't. I really don't know, to be honest with you, Tom. You know, some states actually have a spring, uh, actually have a spring uh, squirrel hunt. Hello. So, hello. You still there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you hear me? Some no. some states some states actually have a spring squirrel hunt. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not just fall. I think oh. Missouri has a spring hunt. Because, you know, it's funny, even in the deep snow, I still see a lot of rabbit tracks, you know, across the deep snow. So for some reason, those big feet are able to go across those that deep snow pretty good, you know, without sinking down into it. Well, I, it, when it's really amazing when you think about, you know, talk about rabbits going, uh, going uh, across, you know, snow. You think about the snowshoe, snowshoe hares yeah. up north. Man, they, they've got, you talk about feet, they've got some big feet. That's why they call, call them the snowshoes, and they can really negotiate. Now, it was interesting you talk about snow depth. Uh, when we got out to, I don't know, I want to say western Minnesota, North Dakota, not a lot of snow there, Tom. I, it's, I, I don't know if they really got hit by a lot. Uh, another thing I was going to mention, uh, driving back, um, we actually saw two coyotes right along the roadside. And, uh, you know, one of them was looking kind of mangy. It wasn't looking the healthiest. I don't know if it was there looking for roadkill or whatever. But this is the time of year when you are likely to see coyotes because this is their mating. This is their mating season. 
So during the middle of the day, you might see a male crossing a field. And uh, in fact, uh, it seems like I'm always getting uh, this neighborhood Facebook here in Pewaukee. Seems like every other day somebody's posting a picture talking about some coyote in their backyard. Um, so they're on the move right now as well, too. Yeah, I, uh, you saw that uh, email from Ron Heidenreich about that uh, nice wolf that some fella had uh, shot. I, I emailed him back asking him who the hunter was. Uh, he must be somebody he knows, I imagine. And I was just kind of curious. Well, so that it looks was a, like that a, was a nice wolf, that's for sure. And it, you're right. One of the pictures was of the person holding him up, you know, with the bear hug, you know. Yeah. But I like the other photo better. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks like, looks like a real nice colored, you know, kind of not a real light wolf, kind of like some uh, kind of mottled kind of light and dark in there. Yeah. Real nice looking nice looking animal what do you think a guy would do if they shot a wolf are these guys getting them full mounts or are they uh are they just doing a rug what do you think these guys do i i would imagine getting a full mount just for the fact that uh, how often do you get a chance to shoot a wolf you know here in the state of wisconsin you know i mean yeah it's going to be a little costly but you know what that that's something that's pretty cool to have around you know it is the most fascinating wolf mount that I ever saw, uh, Jim and Lynn used to own Monument Bay Lodge up on Lake of the Woods up there in the Angle. Many of our listeners uh, might know them and have stayed at uh, uh, Monument Bay Lodge. And he had several full mount wolves. Um, one of them was a gigantic big gray wolf. And it was interesting, Tom, it only, it didn't have... Like, I think most wolves, and I could be wrong, have like five toes in claws. This one, I think, had like three, three oh, yeah. toes. And they actually uh, did some genetic analysis of it. And they found that it had the genetic uh, traits of the wolves that were in Europe that originally crossed the uh, ice shield. I don't know if that would be a Eurasian wolf or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But apparently that was a trait of the wolves there. And here it is. He, it's, I thought it was fascinating that he shoots a wolf that how many generations later, all of a sudden those genetic characteristics came up. It was pretty cool. That, that is, that's really cool. You know, that is something because those wolves came across, oh, man, thousands of years ago, you know. Yeah, it, 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 it was really interesting. He also had a full mount black wolf and a full mount white wolf. And the story was, as I recall, there was some uh, Indian village up there and they were having, having problems with some of those wolves. And so he actually bumped those off and, uh, and, and shot those. So it was pretty interesting. Another fascinating story, and we got two minutes before we got to sign off for the day. Another story, he said he was there in the winter on his island one time, and he saw a dead uh, a deer that had uh, slipped on the ice and had kind of died or was half dead out there, and he saw a couple crows come flying over, and then they left, and he said it was about an hour later. He, he watches, out comes a wolf, and flying up above it is the crow. And... He said, I mean, it looked like the crow actually went and got the wolf. And who knows? The animals are incredible sometimes, the things they do. But I thought that was a fascinating story. Yeah. Well, you know what, Danny? Until next week, that's all I really have for this week. All right. 
So uh, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, just be careful. Don't go driving out on the ice. And uh, that's all I got, my friends. To all the listeners, thanks for listening. And God bless and stay free, everyone. You've been listening to Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors. We'll talk to you all next week, my friends. Chasing, chasing.